0: Thank you BB well welcome everyone and welcome to ourselves coming on as well <laughs> um we're going to look a little in John 6 today but we're going to look in the old testament as well and the subject as you can see the first three these three words i won't say so much about the first word union uh, or the third word, communication. But um, I want to focus mainly on the central word, which is the word communion. Um, now, uh, I'm assuming union. Um, I'm assuming that all of us here have been brought into union with the Lord. Um, Brought into union through faith in the Lord Jesus, and the immersion, the initiation of the Holy Spirit. And I, I want to use that word initiation because it is, in many ways, the, ma- the main central idea behind the word baptism. You remember, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that's what he said to his apostles. And uh, it's the word that John the Baptist used. You remember? John the Baptist, who was baptizing in water uh, there is one greater than i who's coming and he will baptize you in the holy spirit and fire that's what john the baptist said i'm baptizing in water that's insufficient he will baptize you and the word baptize really carries with it this thought of initiation you're brought in to union with god and the son god the father son and holy spirit you're brought into union with him and that is the beginning you're made alive and all kinds of you, you realize don't you that in a way there is no one set of words that can fully describe what the Lord does. Um, when, he, when he really comes to us and we really come to him, you know, it's, it's impossible to describe the fullness of what he does. So, for instance, in John's gospel, he will... Jesus will use the family word. You shall be born from above. That's the family word. That's of course in John's gospel chapter three, when he's talking to Nicodemus. And you know that John, uh, under the leading of the spirit, you know that John never talks about the church being the body of Christ. Did you know that? But he constantly talks about the church as the family of God. And so when he was writing his gospel and selecting things that Jesus said, um, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it was the conversation with Nicodemus in John three where the family, Jesus uses family words and the word born links with the family, unless someone is born from above, born of the spirit. And, and then you switch in your thinking to John as to Paul, so, away from Paul, uh, away from John, and focus on Paul. And you know that he only speaks a little bit about the family of God. He talks about the church like the body of Christ. And <clears throat> when he talks about the body of Christ, for instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter. 12, he will say, in one spirit, are you all baptized into one body? And so it's as though he's taking up this idea. Don't think of body simply as we talk about body. You know, we use the word body in English in other ways. So there's the body political, there's, you know, the political body. Uh, we will talk about that sphere and uh, that body in that one. So, in one spirit, we are baptized into one body. And he tells us that body is the body of Christ. So think about the body <clears throat> of Christ, not simply in the ways of a spiritual version of your physical body, but think of it as the body, um, the spiritual body of the people of God brought all together and reigning and ruling in the sphere that it is apportioned to them in the world. So you can see immediately that not one set of terms could, could do it. Um, and then for instance, Paul will talk about the church a lot as the temple of the Holy Spirit. So if you read his epistles, and he doesn't use the word being baptized into the temple, he uses the word filled, the temple was filled with the Spirit, so he uses this language of being filled, filled, filled. Uh, in the epistle to the Ephesians, where he talks a lot about the church being the temple of the Holy Ghost, it's there that he talks about let the temple be being filled with the Holy Spirit, filled, 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 filled constantly filled so that uh, when you can see there's a whole different set of terms there. And you will also know, of course, that Paul talks about the church and he describes her as the bride of Christ. So you've got four realities there, that's the fourth. First, you've got the family of God, second, you have got this, the body of Christ. Third, you've got the temple of the Holy Ghost. Fourth, now, you've got the bride. The church has the bride of Christ. And there, of course, Paul speaks and brings you back to um, where the woman came from. Out of the side of Adam, that first woman. And then he links all that with the fact that she has her, the church has her origin in what flowed out of Jesus, blood and water. Well, that's Ephesians chapter five. And he will talk about being living face-to-face union and communion uh, he talks about the christian life as marriage to jesus um, marriage involves union a deepening union physical union yes of course earthly marriage involves physical union physical union is the consummation but union with Christ, our husband, should be a deepening union, a union of mind, of thought, a union where a friendship, deepening friendship, you know, those of you who are married we'll know that with the passage of years is the possibility of deepening union through communion. Union that uh, increases in your experience, developing so a husband and wife becoming friends uh, increasingly. And uh, you know, it's a wonderful thing. So when you think of, and all of that, would come about through moving through all kinds of things together. You know, the ups and downs of life and um, keeping your faces open to one another, not giving way to anger, and let not the sun go down upon your wrath. You know, these, these are beautiful things so that the union. Should in marriage and this is one of the things that's often in his mind when he refers to the church as the bride of christ through whom and through that union bringing forth life bringing forth new life if you like babes in the spirit that's the purpose that uh, through his bride in union with himself, he might bring forth another generation. Um, it's tremendous when you begin to think in this way. So already we're realizing how many uh, terms are necessary, how many words are necessary to describe the fullness of what the Lord does when he pours the spirit upon us and you know he you know when he wants to talk about the earth being refreshed when he wants to talk about if we like to put it um outpourings of the spirit will more refer not to something personal as to do with something in a locality where he will refresh uh, uh, an area or a place he will come and he'll pour out his spirit in this place or that place and he wants to pour out and um, and so you can see the largeness of union communion <clears throat> and then of course from communion will come. communication. There will be a communication of life uh, of the Lord's life that will be enriching to those around about you as you live in communion with the Lord, having been brought into union. Now, I want you to um, go into John six and just look at this um, how. The chapter begins, it's good to do this, because it, this is a, a most significant chapter in the, the speakings of Jesus and what happened, because you can see its significance if you look at the way that it begins. Just pull out the, the, the words in verse two of John six. Um, and a multitude followed him. Just that phrase. Just take that phrase. That's how the chapter begins. And a multitude followed him. And then you go to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> and if you look down there verse 66 here's the contrast verse 66 after this many of his disciples drew back and no longer went about with him look at that contrast something happened in what jesus did and what jesus said in that is recorded in chapter six, that brought about an amazing sifting, shuffling of people. In the beginning, a multitude followed him and you can see the reasons why they followed him are given back there in chapter six. And you look again at that verse two, and it says the reasons that they followed um, distinctly associated with the outward because they saw the signs that he did on those who were deceased. They saw the signs, the very, very outward things that attracted them, fascinated them, drew them, and then, of course, when you go back into the end of the chapter in 66, verse 66, uh, Jesus says after they went, no longer went about with him, Jesus said to the 12, verse 67, do you also wish to go away? And then Peter, Simon Peter answered him Lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life do you see the distinction there uh, clearly that Peter said we can't go we don't understand exactly what's happening but it's not your signs it's your words. And there is something about your words that are so full of substance. You're speaking to us not about the present life, only healings and things that pertain to our body, our circumstances, our prosperity. Uh, you're not talking to us about that. You're talking to us about a life of such quality that it is eternal. It's, it's not a life that's going to disappear. You have the words of eternal life. And verse 69, and we have believed and have come to know that you're not just a miracle worker. Now, he doesn't say that, but that's what he's implying. And we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You are the Holy One of God. It, somehow it's all about you, Jesus. I don't know whether you, some of you used to sing one of those choruses from not so long ago you know it's it's all about you jesus there was a song about um worshiping and praising and you know uh, it, it's it's all about you that's what it's all about the the songwriter is bemoaning the fact that he had been sort of promoting praises and worshipings and songs and noise and all the rest of it and then he kind of comes into some sort of revelation. No, 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 no. It's not about how good the meeting is, how good the band is, how good the, the music is. It's 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 not about that. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. And <clears throat> you know you we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so there's this great sifting that goes on. I believe myself in current events, um, things that have taken place over the last two, two and a half years and will intensify. I'm not sure that there'll be another pandemic very soon, but I do believe that the world shall increasingly come into times of great trouble uh, I believe that the United States will continue to decline in power and influence and life and shall fall away. But in the midst of it all, it's part of the purposes of God, is that Jesus is doing things that sift and prune the people of God, his church. That's what he's doing. And in some ways, what is taking place in our societies today, and it will happen in Malaysia, there will be a falling away, a testing of faith. It will happen in Australia, and there will be the formation of an outward church, like occurred in China, where you have your official public face of the church. They call it the three self, don't they, church? Um, and there it is, an outward show. Um, and I believe that gradually, perhaps quite quickly in North America and England, it's already happening in England, where we are meeting people who are having to leave their public church, some of them leaving it because uh, it, it, it's, it's turned to a tolerant position to things that are anti-Christ, uh, especially to do with sexual things and racism and that kind of thing. And they're having to leave because the official position of their denomination has been taken and they cannot abide there. And it's very, very dis, um, well, I was gonna use the word dis, um, well, disheartening for them. And yet at the same time, it's sort of stirring them to realize about the inward life that really matters. Um, that so they're really struggling to know what do we do they they don't I'm just thinking of a group of uh, Episcopalian Anglican people you know that in the Anglican Episcopalian uh, idea of church you can't have communion without an ordained priest you know physical communion bread and wine you can't have it without an ordained priest, someone who's ordained uh, by a bishop and the bishop received his powers from the archbishop. It's a little bit like in the Roman Catholic Church where you, you can't have the bread without the priest who's supposed to receive his ordination through the cardinals and rooting back into the Pope who's supposed to be the representative of Peter. And these people coming out of those churches are saying, how do we meet? How do we have communion? Are we allowed to break the bread? To some of us, this might sound very strange because our church background is different, but it's already happening in England people leaving, people groping, people trying to find how do we meet, uh, where do we meet. And suddenly the buildings become uh, not so significant, well, well we'll meet in a village hall somewhere, um, we'll meet in simplicity, perhaps in the large room in somebody's home. Um, you can see these changes that are already taking place. And I firmly believe that in the next five to 10 years in the in North America, that this sort of thing, there will be big churches. There will still be some megas churches, but they will be compromised. There will be churches on the streets, but they you won't hear the gospel of Christ there. You won't hear the heart of god there you won't hear uh, his saving word there you'll just hear a compromised word that allows all manner of sin to parade as righteousness and these are the things that are you know going to take place and it's like a, a happening like john 6 just where the Lord does something and then through it turns the people's eye to the realities of the inward life of communion. And, you know, I think on top of this, of course, there will be the beginnings of severe opposition to the true church and the true church that will begin to meet in homes and small gatherings wherever they can. <clears throat> uh, there will be an, a persecution, people will lose their jobs. People will uh, no longer go to certain colleges in this country. They won't be accepted They're, They won't be able to work in certain fields of employment. Unless they, if you like, as is happening here, one of the reasons, for instance, that it took us so long to get to where we were going is because there are some employees for the airlines who won't take the vaccinations that are being forced upon them. And so they're disobeying the governmental rule and the the airline that particular airline is very strict and so they can't crew the airport the aircraft we were talking to one lady whose flight was just cancelled because there just weren't enough pilots to crew the aircraft because that airline is so strict on vaccination requirements and so you can see how now bring that over into spiritual life, the life of the church. Well, you can't have your job. You can't continue your job unless you condone and approve of so-and-so, 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 so-and-so. Unless you approve the LBGTQ agenda, you can no longer come to this college. You can no longer work in this Korea and you can imagine that these sorts of things increasing and the church will be measured so I know churches today who are already having to rewrite their belief you know their belief system you know they have to produce a document I know churches in this country who are having to add to their document their position on marriage clearly something they would not have had to have done 30 years ago but now they're having to adjust so that everybody knows they do not approve of same-sex marriage they do not believe it and you can imagine these churches are going to be the objects of attack they'll be the objects of attack how can we uh, stay strong bear our testimony in the midst of a world that's going increasingly rotten through and through the answer is true union with christ deepening communion with our heavenly husband that brings strength to us so that we'll be able to communicate of his life without fear in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. We are getting back in the world to those early Christian conditions. You know, the early church, the, the church in the days, and, and uh, I didn't mean to say these things particularly, but it has a bearing. Do you know, we have a, an archaeologist friend whose name is Calliope. She is a, a Greek. And, uh, you know, sometimes when we were with her and her husband, uh, we went to some of the archaeological sites where they're uncovering the houses and some big sites and she's very interesting to talk to and <clears throat> she told us this now m- many of you uh, those brothers and sisters in Malaysia won't realize this that the the Church of Jesus Christ was, went through periods of persecution for the period of two, three centuries. The persecution in the areas of the Mediterranean was not constant and it wasn't uniform. So there were cities where churches were, where the Roman authorities at times became incredibly heavy handed. And at the same time, a hundred miles away, the authorities in that city were not so heavy handed. So the church was able to continue to meet quite freely. And there were times when certain Roman emperors came and rose who were vicious to the church vicious and so there was much persecution for those who were faithful to god and they they met in the catacombs in in simple ways and in those days many of the church were in fact slaves and so they were conditioned to persecution they were conditioned the church was the true church was conditioned and there were times where unfortunately uh, the church well some of the christians went back and they offered a little uh, a little bit of incense to the caesar that's all they had to do they just had to uh, offer a little incense on a censer that was presented to them. And they had to say, no, no, Caesar is Lord. And if they did not, you see, and this is the kind of thing that is going to come in our world. And in some parts of the world, it's already there. You know, all you have to do is offer a little bit of incense to the decrees of government, you know, and, and the decrees of government will be about the LBGTQ agenda, will be a very big thing. Obey the government, um, a much more substantial issue than vaccinations and um, all that sort of thing because it involves something of deep, deep morality and spiritual life. Vaccinations and those things do not contain that. The main thing with vaccination is the idea of the, of the controlling mandates of government going beyond their brief, but it will intensify. And in that early church, those early church days, there is no archaeological record at all of a place of meeting for Christians that's larger than a room or a little. Uh, uh, um, place built in the grounds of somewhere that could take more than about 110 people. No record archaeologically. But there are numerous houses where there are rooms that could take 75 or 80 people. And even some of those rooms, some of you know that the Romans had a central heating system, where water would run underground. In some of those houses, there is even a conversion that's taken place in the water system. And in the large room, there is a baptistry. Isn't that interesting? Where a hole has been created in the water system in which it would be possible to baptize people. And at first, the archaeologists didn't know what this, this hole is, was, this sort of area. And then until they began to understand, this is a baptistry. So you can see that the churches were forced into the homes, into the houses. In, and your Bible, you may recall how you can read that. The church that's in your house, the church that's in your house. You remember that rich lady in Philippi, who was the seller of purple. And you remember, come to my house. And they began to meet in her house. And so you can see all this sifting that came in those days and how it came in Jesus' ministry and how the people of God can be strong in the face of this adversity. And Jesus is talking about the centrality of himself. He, Jesus in the midst, it's wonderful. And here he is, you know, he's, he's fed the multitude and you all know about that. How he, he, he does this thing um, where he feeds the multitude. So the multitude follow him. And if we look at it very, very quickly, uh, he, he takes the little that they have and he multiplies it. And so it's as though, you know, one of the things that people were looking for, and you may not have registered this, you know that Moses had been a man who gave them or seemed to give them bread in the wilderness. Moses seemed to feed the people. You remember when when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt across the Red Sea? He, he, the wilderness place had no bread. And their bread ran out, so they had cooked some bread. On the night that they left. Egypt. It was flatbread. They didn't have time to allow it to have the yeast in it that would make it rise. That's why it was flatbread. Everyone understanding, they had to make their bread in haste, and they came out of Egypt, and then their bread, their flatbread, ran out. They had not brought any more grain with them and so they had nothing to eat and then god said through moses that he would provide bread and there it came the manna in the wilderness you all know about it and one of the things that moses said in those days that god was going to provide someone like him who would give bread in the wilderness, not the wilderness of Sinai, but the wilderness of life. And there would be someone like unto me. That's what Moses said. And so when Jesus gave the bread to the people that he'd led, 5,000 men plus men plus women and children so big crowd and then you read in verse uh, 14 of john 6 when the people saw the sign which he had done they said this indeed is the prophet who was to come into the world Moses had said, there's a prophet going to come and he's going to give bread in the wilderness. So when Jesus did this, they immediately assumed, he's come, this is he, Jesus. They were thinking uh, of at last the deliverer, the prince, the Messiah has come. And he's going to make us the children of Israel, the Jewish people, the head and not the tail. We're going to whip the Roman empire. We're going to, under his leadership, he will give us power and we will become the head nation we will rule and all the other nations will be under us and we will overcome because this king has come they were thinking entirely on the outward 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 you know they were thinking in terms of the kingdom of god as being an outward kingdom uh, they didn't understand and so they wanted to Make him. So here it is uh, in verse f- 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew <clears throat> again to the mountain by himself. He would not be enthroned on the basis of their outward idea of the kingdom, the outward idea of his kingship. He would not be enthroned on their uh, wrong ideas of where the kingdom is. They, he would not allow them to make him king. It's very important that we grasp this and he withdrew. He withdrew from them again unto the mountain by himself. He will not be enthroned in our lives <clears throat> on the idea that he's just the mighty prophet who will make life smooth who will sort out all our problems, give us prosperity and make everything just hunky-dory, you know, lovely life, make us the head, not the tail. Um, <clears throat> he will not be ideas uh, on enthroned on that idea. It's not the true Jesus, you see. Now, let me apply that practically to today in the country where I am now. You know that some of the biggest churches in the world are in this country, and that's the kind of Jesus that they preach. A Jesus who will give you smooth runnings throughout life. A Jesus who will give you external prosperity. A Jesus who will give you the job you want. The Jesus who will satisfy your outward appetites. A Jesus who is kind of domesticated to your preferences. A Jesus who is very, very useful for sorting out your problems. You know, that kind of Jesus who will... Just bless, 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 bless in the outward kind of ways. I won't name churches, but some of you know of them. And you can hardly, those of us who know better, can hardly abide to listen to it. And it's not just churches, it's music and, uh, oh dear, there, there's many churches. And you know, this will be part of the divide, my brethren. This will be part of the sifting. This will be it, you see. And so Jesus goes away and uh, up onto the mountain. And it, it would be worthwhile, I think it's Mark chapter 6 and it may be Matthew 14. I can't remember the chapters exactly. There is a record in those other Gospels of different elements of the next event jesus and this this event is very significant in the flow of things because jesus goes up in the mountain and he sends his disciples so verse 16 when evening came his disciples went down to the sea now in john's account he doesn't mention that jesus commanded them to go across the lake you'll read that in matthew and mark that jesus commanded them and they got into a boat and they started across the sea to capernaum it was now dark and jesus had not come to them it was now dark and so they are in familiar territory to some of them. They were fishermen. The lake was familiar territory. Jesus was sending them across the lake. He had promised that he would meet them. Uh, and they assumed no doubt the other side of the lake when they arrived in Capernaum. So they get into the boat and they begin to move across the lake and it's dark jesus had not come to them the sea rose because of a strong wind blowing and when they rode about three or four miles so they halfway across. And again, if you read the other accounts, and let me see if I can quickly find, is it, um, uh, Hazel tells me it's Matthew 14. So I just want to sort of build this picture up well for us because it, it's necessary. Um, Verse 22 of Matthew 14, then he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time, was many furlongs distant from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. Amazing, isn't it? Fourth watch of the night, he came to them. There they are in dire difficulties terrified in familiar territory where they knew what to do, but it was beyond them. He led them to the end of themselves. And the whole of the future of the church was in one little vessel, cockle shell, something so small, threatening that they be drowned and jesus came to them in the darkest hour of the night that's what it means by the fourth watch it's when the night is darkest when the heart is sunk lowest some of you may wake in the night sometimes if you wake in the middle of the night it may not be, you may not feel so bad, but there is a time that you wake when it's darkest. And I tell you, um, it's, you can be very heavy at that time. And so Jesus came. And you notice in the Matthew account there that up on the mountain, he was doing something. Did you notice that? Mm-hmm. He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Uh, so you know what he was doing. You, you understand that he was understanding the, the events. You know, you, you must look at that in your life. I think now recently uh, in one of the places we have been, we have been with a man uh, we were with him on Monday in his home with his family or some of his family his wife and so on and that man has been in the church uh, there for many years and uh, I certainly have always loved him and his family and every time we've ever come into this area or we've gone into their home they, they've invited us and uh, he is a businessman. Um, some of you, well, I'll just tell you, it's a gravel business, it's an earth business and um, where they get um, various sand and gravel out of the ground and for builders and deliver it. So a man like that, and he got COVID very badly. Six or eight months ago, hospitalized for many weeks, and gradually came out of it. And then when we arrived, he 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 was a shadow of himself. A big man uh, and you know, like like a like a little boy, shrunk and uh, having to walk with a stick, weakness. And uh, it's interesting, we prayed for him in a meeting and all oh, the Lord answered by him getting weaker so that he went into the hospital rapidly. And they recognized that there was something other than COVID working in him. And he was rushed into a South Dakota hospital. And uh, after many tests, he was diagnosed, diagnosed with a disease that only 20,000 Americans have got. That if not treated, it will inevitably take his life. And so he's been led, really, by the Lord. Um, into a time of life where he's at the end of himself. I won't go into many details, but I, I, I have said to him and I say to you that I know that Jesus is up, has been up on the mountain, orchestrating everything to reveal something of himself to that man that that man has never known. You see, most of us come this kind of way where we at first think Jesus is the savior who will sort out all our outward things, make life smooth, grant us, um, you know, he's a utilitarian God. He's very useful to us. We domesticate him and uh, and so on, and yet and he, and he won't be enthroned in us on that basis, but he's working as he was with his loved disciples he's leading them in their familiar territory, remember, four of them were skilled fishermen, they knew the lake like the back of their hand and. So the other men would have been confident, well, these guys know their business. And even these men are petrified, but Jesus is on the mountain watching. So if I was to find the, the, um, the mark account, you'd actually find that the Lord Jesus was not only praying, but he was seeing them. And uh, I'm just sort of looking here to try and quickly, I thought it was the sixth. Was six. it, and uh, Hazel's helping me here. He immediately, this is Mark 6, 45. You see, this is how we must build up the picture. Uh, by looking at the little elements that are brought into the story uh, by the other writers. They're not inventing these things. They're just bringing us a whole picture immediately. So this is Mark six or verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. Does everybody understand that Bethsaida and Capernaum were next to one another? And while he dismissed the crowd and after he'd taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray and when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw, that's the bit I want to see. He saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and he meant to pass by them. There's another little element. He meant to pass by them. Now you notice he saw them laboring painfully. Don't you ever think that the Lord has launched you out into something and he's not watching and seeing and loving don't you ever think that you have arrived at a set of circumstances uh, and you have launched there you've gone forward there and he's not prayerfully watching and that he intends to come not as a king of your own conceiving, not a king to sort out every little problem and give you a happy life, but as someone different that you will learn to have communion with, deepening communion with, and know him as this person, this one, he makes as though he would go by them. I find that quite something because I know that there are times when we're like that, where Jesus draws near and it's almost as it is, uh, unless we call him, unless we call him, not according to our own ideas of him, but as the one who seems to be the master of everything. Because when they looked, he was something beyond human. Human, but beyond human. They cried out and they thought it was a spirit. And uh, you know, they saw him, verse 49, chapter six. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, a, a spirit something incredibly occultish and they thought it was a spirit it's a little bit like us when we get into difficult circumstances there are times when we think this is devil this is spirit this is not right we we can get into all this kind of frame of mind and <clears throat> you know they cried out for they all saw him and were terrified. Can you, can you just think, can you get this picture? Can I get this picture into my heart? The master of the problems appears. The waves that threaten to drown them. Not just a king that will live in a palace and give weapons to overcome things outward, But someone, and you notice, it says here, and note this clearly, it says at the end of verse uh, 48, he was walking on the sea he was walking on it. you say why do you say that he wasn't floating he was in touch with the very thing that was threatening them it was under his feet it's always the same this is the jesus into whose presence the Spirit would bring you and me day by day. This is the Jesus whom the Spirit would cause you to have communion with. Not a Jesus that you can manipulate. Not a Jesus who just is interested in your outward blessings. The Jesus who is walking on the enemy. The thing that threatens you, the thing that threatens to drown you. He's walking on the waters. And this is a wonderful thing. You see, one of the deep difficulties, especially of the charismatic movement, is that they conceive of Jesus as a rather sophisticated magician. Uh, you know, who does tricks, uh, you know, who does some magic, who can do this, do that, the other materialize things. I might sound rather uh, sort of gross when I put it that way, but I know it's true. Jesus, a kind of incredible person who will do this to jesus is the one who walks on the serpent he walks on the thing that threatens you it's under his feet he's in touch with it, it and it's under his feet just as was promised uh, you know uh, that the serpent would bruise the heel, but that this wonderful one would bruise the serpent's head. The serpent would be under the head. Now the waves are still there. They haven't gone yet. The circumstances are unaltered but jesus is there and he's walking and they don't know him in fact they think it's a spirit and you know they're terrified and then the lord jesus speaks to them and <clears throat> some of you have heard this before from me but jesus says this. Fear not. I am. Fear not. Now you know this word, or two words in Greek, ego, I mean, I am. You know where it is rooted. Somewhere recently. I don't know whether it was on a Zoom or in a meeting I spoke, on God is a verb. And you say, where did you get that from? Because in this Exodus book in the Old Testament, when Moses was commanded to go back to the children of Israel, and bring them out of their bondage. He asked God his name. And what name shall I say? And the Lord said, he didn't say, I'm El Shaddai. Tell them it's El Shaddai. Or tell them it's Jehovah Sidkenyo. Another name. He didn't say that. He simply used the Hebrew verb to be. I was, I am, I will be, I am, that I am, that I am, that I am, I will always be the same, I'll never change, I am, I was. I will be, it's the verb to be, it's a play on the verb to be in the Hebrew language, Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. And hallelujah, this is who I am. This is who I am. And Jesus says, fear not, I am. And it implies I am the worker. I am active. I am doing. I will do. I have done. I am doing now. I will do. I will always be. Hallelujah. This is God. This is God. Christ, this is the one with whom you are to have communion and learn communion. This is the one you've been brought into union with by the blessed Holy Ghost, the one who will never leave you nor forsake you. He will be in the hospital room. If you're there, he will be at the graveside as you bury a loved one. He will not only be there, he will be there. To, to strengthen, renew, refresh, reveal himself to you, more than ever to bring you into deepened communion with himself, with his victory, with his workings, so that you will become a communicator of the everlasting God who doesn't get weary, Yea, and as he appears to you and makes himself known to you like this, you shall rise up with wings as eagles. You shall run and not be weary, you shall walk and not faint, and you shall be a communicator of him whom you see and who you know increasingly as the unchanging faithful one. It will no longer be words to you, but reality to the depths of your spirit, in the depths, and it will rise up through your soul and into your mind, and you will have the risings of faith, hope. And the deepenings of love. This is God. And Jesus came to them walking on the water in this blessed state of victory. And uh, he made as though he would go by them. You know, isn't it amazing? that uh, he withdrew from them when they wanted to make him an earthly king that would bring earthly harmony, deliverance and all the rest of it. And he sends them out into this difficult place, fully aware of what's going on. He watches it, prays, knows it's the time, appears to them in the midst of things. And when I talk like this, I think of that, uh, you know, he is ever the same. And in the midst of, you know, what's happening in Ukraine and with Russia, there will certainly be those who are beginning to know God like this in the midst of the horror that they are facing. You know, two days ago, I got communication from there. Of of people who had witnessed children being abused and rapes taking place, and I got firsthand news from those who were witnessing in one of the areas to the west of Kiev, from which, as they the Russians have departed. But the horrors you see the terrifying things and there he appears and he appears and you know as i read these things and i look at it um peter in the 14th of matthew peter jesus says take heart fear not have no fear I am, I am, notice it, I am, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Jesus, uh, Peter, the bold, Peter, the optimist. Peter says, Lord, this is verse 28 of Matthew 14. Lord, if it is you, bid me come to you on the water and he said come now you can't see this very clearly but peter actually said lord if you are the i am bid me come to you on the water now, everybody thinks that the chief reason that Peter sank was because he saw the waves. You read that. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, Lord, save me. But you know, the chief reason that Peter began to see the wind forcing its way was because he used a very little word when he spoke to Jesus, which in English is I-F. If you are the I am. If you are. The if. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're not able to bring me through this. There was doubt there in the if. If you are. And if there's an if in your life, the winds will seem to still terrify you. If there is an if in my life, the present circumstances that threaten to overcome you will seem more terrifying. If there is an if about Jesus, they will seem to terrify you. And the Lord, you know, of course, rescued Peter when he began to sink. Yeah, but if there's an if in your life about who God is, and of course, communion with him will increasingly, communion with him. Can you see that, of course, we read this, that Jesus caught him. Uh, verse 31, he reached out his hand. And he caught him, saying to him, "Oh man, of little faith, why did you doubt?" Who, what was he doubting? He was doubting the wonderful person of who Jesus is. He's the I am. And he, Jesus, caught him by the hand, stretched out his hand, and verse thirty-two. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him saying truly you are the son of God, it's wonderful. You know, when you take the I am into the boat now this is what communion is. It is taking the I am into the boat with you. Christ as I am. Not Christ as king to make you happy. Christ as the very I am. I will be. I have been. I have worked for you. I have overcome your enemies, the real inward enemies, the enemies of sin and habits, the enemies of unbelief. I have put all your enemies under your feet. I have done that. I will do it now by my presence. Take me into the boat. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He will be in the future. You will not be brought into some circumstances where He is not the same I am. And all of this is what communion is and what Jesus means. So back in John six, where this is what Jesus means when he says this, when he tells us to eat his flesh and drink his blood, or you have no life in you, this is what he means. You drink, you eat him. Not Jesus who's just going to sort out your circumstances. The outward things. Mm. The Jesus who is the I am that I am, who has done for you, doing for you, shall do for you the one who will give you himself to make you into a proper I. I was speaking to some students the other night and uh, I, I began by the first few words in the Bible. In the beginning, God. And I said to them all, our trouble is that we've got in our lives, in the beginning, me. <laughs> in the beginning, I. In the beginning, self. The first words of the Bible are, in the beginning, God. And the next word is created, amen. And if in the beginning in my life, I see is, in the beginning, I am, that's what Jesus says to us. In the present, I am, in the future, I am. And uh, I took him into the boat. And this is what Jesus means by eating my flesh and drinking my blood day by day, day by day, inward communion with him, taking him like this. And if I just uh, draw to an end, uh, just focusing here, we've said enough about it, um, but it says this, and this is tremendous, uh, I'll read from John 6, verse 32. John 6, verse 32. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, it came from God. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. This is bread for your soul. This is bread for your inner man. This is bread my father gives you, the true bread from heaven. And you just think of this. Here I am, I'm talking to a pastor, Monday morning, I think it was. We had two or three hours together and he's a pastor, a man that we love and have known many years. And he's going through a difficult time. The church is going through the sifting. Individuals are going through the sifting. Some of them, some people have left, for a more comfortable church scene where the word is not preached with any challenge in it and where there are plenty of programs to do this, do that and do the other. And uh, it, it, this has been going on for a while and he's been examining himself. Uh, well, is there something wrong with me? And and uh, uh, oh, that kind of thing. And, he said to me, my greatest temptation is just to do my duty. Prepare my sermons, which I love to do. Just do my duty. And he said, I know it's wrong. And as he opened his heart about these things, I said to him, my brother, what happens to you when you just sit in your chair and put your Bible to one side, you don't even read it, and you come to a inner hush, inner hush, what happens to you? And the Lord within you and you commune a little with him, what happens to you? And he said, nothing but peace. It's a kind of sense that everything's okay and shall be okay. That don't be troubled. It's almost as though everything comes to harmony. And I said, that's right. That's right, you're eating the bread that comes from heaven, where everything's settled, you're eating the Christ, you're knowing his inward presence, you're drinking the blood. It's washing you from your troubles. It's a great mystery in your inward man. You've got to learn to live there. Uh, you, you're no longer distressed about the things outside. Your heart is coming to deep settlement. That's it, because you're eating the bread. Verse 33 in our chapter 6. The bread of God. Is that which comes down from heaven? You've never thought, probably, you know, that the Father ceaselessly uh, feeds on the Son. Have you ever thought about that? Feeds on his love, feeds on his faithfulness, feeds on his devotion, feeds on his beauty, that first of all, God is giving you his bread. Jesus is his bread. God, the Father, has been ceaselessly enjoying, feeding upon his Son, the bread of God, God's bread first. Now your bread, now my bread. Think about that. Think about the confidence of the father as the word became flesh and began to live his life upon the earth. Think about the confidence that his son would faithfully fulfill all the father's will. Think, think about it, you know, feed upon Jesus by faith in your heart, feed upon his faithfulness. This is what communion is, the bread of God that comes down from heaven to give life to the world. Now you can understand, God's communicating his bread, the bread of his own communion. He's giving out, communicating to the world. And here you are, you will give forth in the world. You will communicate the bread of your communion. The more you know this Christ as the great I am who changes not, Bless the name of the Lord. I um, can't take any other steps now because I really ought to stop. I've spoken enough, but I hope that I've helped you, that we can see I, some of us will have been attempting to commune with an earthly kind of King Jesus, you know, who's going to sort everything out. We haven't been fellowshipping as we should in the quietness with him. Hush, hush. Hear him, hear him. Don't think about your plans. First, know him as the great I am. They took him into the boat and straightway, straightway, they were where they were to go. The straightaway there was calm. You know, <clears throat> the lessons of the Lord are graded to us. The disciples first met a fearsome storm with Jesus in the boat. He was asleep. That's their first lesson. It was graded to them. They were fearful and they woke him up. The second lesson in the school of Christ on the lake, of course, was this one. He wasn't in the boat. And they, and they were fearful. And this lesson is much more wonderful. Because they saw him walking on the troubles that threatened to swamp them. They saw him and heard him say, fear not, I am. They took him into the boat and straight away there was calm. There always is when you take him into the boat and commune with him. That's why you must have quiet. That's my why you must learn communion by time of hush. Hush, troubled soul. Hush. And very soon as you continue this way and learn of him and submit to him and take him into your boat, you will find that you will carry an inward hush all the time an inward hush to which you can turn in the midst of things you won't always do it sometimes the winds will blow fiercely and trouble you but don't flagellate whip damage yourself don't do that don't do that and blame yourself just turn to him to the inward hush that he ever gives the peace that passes understanding is the way that Paul puts it. And so you will become a, a, a person in the habitual states of a quiet, joyful heart. That seems to be a contradiction, but it's true. A quiet, joyful heart, hush. The hush will be within you because the I am is in you and you're communing with him and you will inevitably communicate of him. The I am. You won't sell a cheap Jesus. You won't peddle a prosperity gospel. You won't pedal Jesus blood and uh, just say the sinner's prayer and you'll go to heaven you won't pedal that sort of thing you won't be a peddler you'll be a communicator of this great and wondrous God amen so I finish BB thank you thank you I trust somehow we've really received something uh, in, in thinking about these things. Amen. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Thanks, Phoebe. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, brother. That's all for mm. me to pray to respond. Mm. Yeah. Thank you, Father. Oh, Lord, we've said some, shared the heart of things, Lord, this morning. Oh, Jesus, you're our bread, Lord. You're our cleansing blood, cleansing life. The life is in the blood. Your life, not the blood of bulls and goats. Couldn't, couldn't. They're not allowed to drink that blood. But we are commanded to drink your blood because your blood is life indeed. Your blood contains your life. It's a mystery. But amen. Amen. We worship you today. Amen. Lord.